0: is a picture of our half bath at our house. Uh, it's, uh, it's been in process for like two and a half years, which is a really long time, okay, uh, for a bathroom to not be finished. Uh, and so we weren't real sure what we were going to do. We're like, hey, we want to do something special in this half bath, and uh, we're not sure what to do. So we put a, a pencil in there and said, hey, uh, after you wash your hands... Uh, please jot down uh, uh, something that you, you think we ought to do. And so we've got all kinds of very interesting uh, different options that are up there. Um, some of them are uh, serious, some of them uh, not as serious, but we just weren't real sure what to do. So oh, what was it? Probably, uh, oh, did you see the, no, I think there's another picture. Show the next one. Picture of a battle stag. Somebody wants us to put a picture of a battle stag. Um, We were not real sure what to do, but about, uh, oh, I don't know, what's it been, maybe a month ago, babe, uh, Brendan and I got to go away for a weekend with no kids, like a Thursday to a Saturday, all right? Like, that is like something that very, very rarely happens for us, uh, and it was amazing, Like, it was just amazing. We went to Chicago. Uh, We had bought tickets to Hamilton. It was unbelievable. Hamilton's coming to GR next month. It's all sold out, but I'm still hoping somehow, some way I'm going to score tickets. It was that good. I want to see it again. Uh, But one of the things that we did uh, while we were there is Brenda and I both love art. Uh, Being an artist, and Brenda's dad was actually an artist. Brenda's actually incredibly artistic herself. We love going to art museums, but our kids don't really like going to art museums with us. Weird, I know. Uh, so we had an entire day that we're like, we're gonna go to the Art Institute of Chicago. It was uh, walking distance from our hotel. Uh, I lo- they have got like some of the most iconic pieces uh, in in the world there. Uh, Van Goghs and uh, uh, Picassos and just so many different uh, cool pieces, pieces that you've seen uh, your entire life. Uh, American Gothic, you know, the the two farmers, like that's there. You can see it in, in person. So. We were gonna go. Uh, we 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 walked in and they were having a Warhol exhibit. Andy Warhol. Okay. Now I'm not a massive Warhol fan. Okay. To be like, it's, he's just not really my jam. Uh, that that's a, a pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about that in just a second. Um, I was like, well, all right. We're here. We'll get to see it, right? So it's an exhibit. You pay 25 bucks, which to me is a lot of money for a ticket to go someplace 50 bucks for the couple and then they said it's going to be an extra seven dollars to see the Warhol exhibit and I was like I don't even really like the dude so I don't want to pay an extra seven bucks so I'm looking at the lady she's like I promise it's really really good and I was like really like is it really worth another 14 dollars for the two of us to see and she says I promise it is and I said ah fine so we bought it we went to the exhibit and honestly It blew my mind. Like, it was way better. Like, I was not a huge fan of Warhol before, uh, but I've become a fan of Warhol. Uh, This is uh, uh, one of his larger pieces. Uh, A lot of times when you see this, you assume it's really small. It's a huge piece. And uh, this is done with a really, really interesting technique. In fact, uh, it kind of became what I want to do in my bathroom. We've kind of figured out based off of some of what Andy does that this is something we want to do in our bathroom. Now, I started doing some research on his technique, and I actually felt like it's very similar to what Jesus wants to do in our own lives. Uh, Warhol actually starts with a photograph. Okay, Uh, He photographed tons and tons of different famous people, um, or he would get a very iconic photograph. Uh, like the Marilyn Monroe prints that you've probably seen before, or the Muhammad Ali print, or the Elvis print. Like he's done all these different famous people. Mao was one of them. And uh, what he'll do is he'll actually start with the original photograph, and then it gets turned into a transparency. Do you remember those old school transparencies? Okay. I think you see a picture of, now this particular one was a, a skull. So it gets turned into a transparency, and then they'll take the transparency, and he'll put it on a, a canvas or a sheet of paper, and he'll kind of trace it out. In this particular instance, uh, then it was then uh, painted, the parts that he wanted to have painted, and then that piece would then be brought to the screen print uh, machine, contraption, all right? So you can see the screen print, they lay it underneath there. They put the screen down on it, you put paint on top of the screen, you squeegee the paint through the screen, and you start building up layer upon layer upon layer of different colors uh, until you get the final product, which will then look like that. Now, that does not look exactly like the original, right? It's a little bit different, but you can see that it is an image of the original, If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You see, Warhol would keep building up layers. In fact, he would often do it through multiple layers of screen printing until he had something that looked like the original but with its own flavor. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll make sure that we've got some folks uh, that will uh, grab a Bible uh, for you. I know we've got a couple of them back there, a couple up front here. That way you can just kind of follow along. We're going to be in a couple different passages. uh, Two passages in Romans this morning. And a passage in John. So Romans chapter 12. Reading verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul has written this letter to the church that was meeting in Rome at the time. And he says this in chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He's like, look... Let me urge you, based on what God has done, based on everything that God has done for you, I want to urge you to offer yourself, your body, your feelings, your thoughts, the way that you're going to live your life. I, I'm urging you, because of what God has done in giving all of himself to you, to, for now you to give all of yourself to him. He says it's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship. And then in verse 2, he says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, hey, the world is trying to fit you into a mold. Amen. that is, it was true back in Paul's day. And it's been true in every culture, in every time, in every place from then until now. Like right? the world's always trying to tell us what we're supposed to think is hip and cool and right, the correct way to act, the correct way to think. The world's always trying to tell us how we're supposed to be. You ever like had jello? If you've been to a church potluck, you've had the jello mold, right? Like some old lady brought you the jello mold and, and they poured a bunch of jello into some like round bunt thingy and then they threw like random pieces of fruit into it probably maybe some nuts too which is kind of weird uh and then some do even weirder stuff and 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 you're not even sure if it's like intended for human consumption all right but uh they wait for the jello to get hard and then they take it out of the mold and the jello just stays there right that's that's what the world's trying to do to us The world's trying to say, hey, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to act like. This is how you're supposed to think. The world's always trying to tell you how to think. Every television show that you watch, the music that we listen to, everything's always trying to tell us how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to look like. And God says, yo, I don't want you to to get conformed into the pattern that the world is telling you. Rather, I want you to be transformed by renewing your mind. The way we renew our mind is what we talked about last week, By engaging with God in his word. See, when we engage with God in his word, God begins to renew our mind. He begins to tell us what we're supposed to be like, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to think. God says, this is what I want for you. This is how you're going to experience your best life now. But God's legit because he created us and he knows. And so God's like, I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed. Now, uh, when he talks about this, there is actually something that he wants us to be conformed to. If we had been reading Romans, uh, chronologically, we would have already have read this verse. But I started in chapter 12 on purpose. Now I want you just to flip back to chapter 8. Just a couple of pages probably in your Bible, back to chapter 8. We're going to look in verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So this is Paul saying, look, God can take all the experiences of your life, hard experiences, unfair experiences, amazing experiences, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the tragic stuff, the amazing stuff. God can take all of that and he can use it for the good. All right, now, we have to, though, define what is the good, right? Because not everything that happens to us in our lives is good. Am I correct at that? Right, I mean, there's stuff that's happened to you that you had no control over that was very ungood. That was, in many cases, devastating and awful and completely foreign to anything God would have desired for your life. And there are also wonderful things that happen to us in our lives. And God says, if you'll allow me, I will take all of that stuff and I will use it for your good. We have to define, though, what is the good? Well, we find what the good is as we continue reading in verse 29. 29 is kind of the key verse in this passage. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, this is God's design and desire, so that, or to be, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see all those are in past tense? His point is that God has started this process, and God's going to finish this process. God already sees it as though it's been completed, but the whole reason God is taking all the different things that happen to us in our life and using them for our good is because the good is to be conformed to what? To what? It's right in the text. The image. Yes. The image of Jesus. God wants you to look like Jesus. That's his point. God is conforming us to look like Jesus. Uh, I think this is actually exactly a kind of what Warhol is doing. He's taking this picture and then he's creating copies of it. Now, none of the copies look exactly the same, do they? I don't think God is trying to literally turn you into an exact replica of Jesus. All right, What he's trying to do is Turn you to look like Jesus so that when somebody looks at you, they say, Wow, I see Jesus. I notice that they act a lot like Jesus the way Jesus thinks, the way Jesus acts, the way Jesus loves, the way Jesus feels, the way Jesus goes about his day to day business, the way Jesus works at his office, the way Jesus interacts with folks when he's driving his car. I wish Jesus would have driven a car in America. Because I would have learned a lot probably. But God is laying down layer after layer of experiences in our lives. And he's using those experiences to shape us into this image. But how crazy is it that we are often trying to add our own layers that look like the world? Do you know how messy the image starts to become? When God is trying to take all these things that are happening to us and he's laying them down the way that he knows is actually going to draw out the most potential and the different textures he wants, the color and vibrancy that that he desires to create this image that looks like Jesus. It's, It's definitely not exactly the same, right? God loves his diversity of personality and size and color and language and all those pieces, but it's intended to look like Jesus. We keep dropping layers in that look like the world. Like, oh, God, I know you want me to think this, but the world really wants this. And so, and God's always kind of going back, and he's working on cleaning up these different things that we're putting in there because God loves us so much that he is going to make this happen in our lives. But we sometimes make it so messy, so difficult. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're God's handiwork, his art, like his original masterpiece, that we're created in Jesus to do good works. God is conforming us into a picture of Jesus. This is what God is doing, but I'd like to talk a little bit about how God is doing it. And for that, we have to flip over to John 15. Now, uh, while you're flipping over to John 15, um, I needed glasses Uh, From the time I was 13 until the time I was about 27. Uh, This is me in my senior picture. Oh, yeah. Look at those awesome glasses. Uh, The sad thing is, is those glasses are actually kind of small, but my face is literally so tiny that they make them look huge. But uh, I had glasses uh, basically from middle school until I was in my uh, mid-20s. When I was in my mid-twenties, I started hearing about this thing called LASIK surgery. Okay? And uh, I was a youth pastor at this time. Uh, I had broken glasses on multiple occasions playing stupid games and going on retreats and all these things that youth pastors do. And it was always such a pain because you break your glasses and then you don't have glasses. And I always tried to wear contacts, but my eyes could never get used to them. And so LASIK surgery sounded amazing. They would literally go in and, and, and fix your eyes. Now, um, I heard about it, but I was, like, 27, and uh, this is, like, I was starting kind of my second full-time job. I didn't have a whole lot of money, all right, and and, and, and so I, I was talking to Brenda about it, and I was like, babe, it's, it's kind of expensive. and So I started uh, shopping around, trying to find, like, a bargain, okay, which let me just tell you something, okay, if you're going to ask somebody to, to, to like, Uh, Cut your eye open and then reform it with a laser. Like, don't go bargain hunting, okay? Like, that's not what you want to bargain hunt. But I did, and I found a a surgeon in Chicago, and they gave me a good deal. And I and I drove over to Chicago, and this is what LASIK actually is. I kind of knew, but I don't think I really knew until I got there. What will happen is um, they will bring you into a room, and you will lay down uh, on a chair. uh, Your head's all the way back. And you're awake the entire time. Let me just start there, okay? Like, you don't go, you're awake all the time that this is happening. And the doctor will try to talk to you in nice, calm tones and tell you what he's doing. And starts off by swabbing your eye with a, uh, a disinfectant uh, that also numbs the eye and then what they do is they will pull your eyelids back and put tape on them and then they will take this some mechanical claw thing like this and it holds your eyelid open so you literally cannot blink even if you wanted to. And while that happens, they then will come and place a little thing on your eyeball. Now, uh, that's not so bad. This is where it gets really bad. Because then they bring a little machine down that attaches to your eyeball and then sucks it out of your socket a little bit. Not like all the way, but enough that you feel legit pressure, okay? You're numb, so it's not super painful, but you feel the pressure. And then after they've sucked your eyeball out a little bit, they bring in another machine that has a razor blade on it. And they will literally slice off the top of your eyeball lens. And they don't, sorry, they don't slice it all the way off, okay? They do leave a little flap, and then they take an instrument, and then they flap that over, On, and you're watching. I'm not kidding. You watch this happen, okay? And then when they flip the eyelid or the lens over, everything goes like gray and blurry. And then they say to you, watch the red light. That's what the watch. So I'm literally just there. I can't see anything anymore, and I'm just watching this red light. And I realize that's the laser. That's the laser that they're shooting literally into the back of my eye. And then you start to smell something that smells like it's burning. I'm not even (laughs) kidding. Now I did a little bit of research on this. Okay. What they say is it's a cold laser, it's not a hot laser, it's not actually burning. What it's doing is it's uh, breaking up the molecules in your cell so that they can reform them. However, when the molecules are breaking up, it causes a chemical reaction, which is a lot like burning. And that's why it smells like burning flesh. But it's not, they, they swear, it's not burning flesh. It just smells like burning flesh and acts like burning flesh. But So they're literally reshaping. I had an astigmatism, which means that your eye, instead of being perfectly round, starts to get a little bit football-shaped. And So they're reshaping the back of your eye to be round again. And then when they're done, after about 30 seconds, it doesn't take that long, he'll flap your lens back over, and he'll put some bio thing that like cements your lens back so that it doesn't like come, it's like some sort of biological super glue. And uh, uh, for the next day or so, your eyes are super sensitive to light and you get a little bit of headache, but I, I, I'm not kidding, I woke up the next morning and like colors were like more vibrant. I literally could zoom in on things far away, I even had the night vision added to my I'm kidding, like, I didn't get that, but um, I could see things clearly, like, legit. I could see things clearly. It was unbelievable and, and crazy, right? I mean, who ever thought, hey, what would happen? If we sliced the top of somebody's eye off and then shot a laser into the back, like wouldn't that be a great way to make them see clearly? But it worked. It absolutely worked. And I'm like 18, 19 years on now. And uh, my eyes have gotten uh, older and, and, and not quite as good as they were. But I literally could see a little better than 2020 after it was done. To this day, I still don't need glasses to drive. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm probably going to need some to read. But uh, it worked. If you have your Bibles, John 15, I'd like to read verses 1 through 8. What I realized, though, is that the only way for me to see clearly was going to require some pain and discomfort. Uh, It was actually going to require some pieces of my eyeball that needed to be removed, Uh, some other pieces that actually needed to be reshaped. It also required uh, that someone help me with it because it didn't matter how much I wanted it to happen. I couldn't make my eyes shaped perfectly. I needed someone to help me. John 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says these words. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now when Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you, he's talking about within the context of becoming the kind of vine that produces the kind of fruit that God desires for us. Uh, I I was... uh, able to be in, in Israel, uh, actually, this was when I was in Turkey a couple years ago. And we got to go to a vineyard um, that was just on the mountainside. and look at the vines. and, and uh, if any of you are like really into wine, uh, you care a lot about, you know about vineyards and how they actually uh, will produce and work on the root. Right, the, the, the main vine, and then everything comes off of that. And they're always walking around and pruning because they don't want it to grow extra uh, leaves that aren't necessary. They want everything to be used to, to get ready to produce the grapes. That, that's, what a good, that's what a good gardener does. And Jesus says, look, uh, I'm the true vine. You see, Israel always had this thing where they were associated as uh, vines that God was growing. In fact, if you went to the temple when Jesus was speaking this, and we think Jesus was probably uh, either in the temple when he's speaking this or just outside of the temple, there was actually a massive vine made of gold. In fact, they said that uh, there were clusters that were fashioned by metal artisans of pure gold grapes that were the size of a full-grown man. Like that's the kind that was what we're talking about. Massive, this massive vine that was uh, above one of the doors. And it was to kind of signify uh, Israel. And Jesus is now saying, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. And you are branches on the vine. The only way you can produce fruit and become the kind of people that I desire for you to be, to be conformed into the image of, of Christ, is to stay in Christ. How do we do that? Well, we talked about that last week. We engage with God in his word. We continue to have our minds renewed we don't get conformed to the world, we get conformed to Jesus. God is laying down layer after layer of these experiences in our lives to help us become and look like Jesus. And Jesus says, if you stay in me, you're going to produce a lot of fruit, beautiful fruit. It's the outgrowth of staying connected. It's the automatic thing that happens when we stay connected. But here's the deal. God, because He is a master gardener, knows that there are things in our lives that need to be pruned away. Things in our lives that are not for our best. They're not actually going to help us produce the kind of fruit that God wants us to produce. Uh, Dr. Burge says this about this particular passage. Uh, I want to read this quote to you. He says, these words are guidelines for discipleship, instructions for how the disciple and the church ought to live out life in a world that is at odds with God's word, but nevertheless in need of it. Discipleship is a commitment to doctrinal beliefs Concerning, uh, He says, is discipleship a commitment to doctrinal beliefs concerning God and Jesus? Is it a way of life, a way of love perhaps, that sets disciples apart from the world? Or is it an experience, a mystical spiritual encounter that transforms? This is the quote. I believe it is all three. Discipleship is a way of thinking. That's our doctrine. It's a way of living our ethics and a supernatural experience that cannot be compared to anything else in the world. In verse 1 and 2 it says that God is a gardener who cuts off branches that are not in our best interest. And will prune the branches that are. That is not a fun process. That is not a fun process for God to come into our lives and say, hey, I, I know you, you think this is going to give you fulfillment. But it's actually leading you astray. I need to, I need to take, take that out of your life. I think that there's all kinds of things that God may wish to say to us as a church. Like, hey, that's a good thing, but that's not the best thing that I actually want for you. And so I'm going to prune that out. You see, God wants us to be able to see clearly. He wants us to be able to produce the kind of fruit that he desires for our lives. That's why he prunes us. Just as the surgeon removed parts of my eye. It was actually so that I could see clearly. And God is a wonderful, amazing surgeon who never makes a mistake, but we have to give him permission. We have to allow him to come in and do the work that is necessary to do. Is there anything that you think God might wish to prune in your life in 2020? Last week we talked about the idea that some of us, uh, not some of us, all of us need the cheaters, the reading glasses of the Bible, right? It helps us see the path that God desires us to be on. And so many of you, I think there's been like 30 or 40 of you now uh, that are kind of followed along in our Psalm 119 experience, right? Uh, It's been so good for me just to engage with God in his word. Every morning, I've been doing it. Like I said, I have my cup of coffee. I sit down at a little round uh, wooden table in the kitchen. And uh, that's where uh, I spend time with God before I open up my computer and send out emails and all that. I hope it's been good for you so far. But here's the reality. As you engage with God and his word, there's going to start to probably become things that he starts to make you aware of that he wants to prune out of your life. What is it that God might be asking you to prune in 2020? Uh, Maybe it's a relationship that you know is not moving you towards Christ. Uh, Possibly a romantic relationship. Uh, Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a friend that you've had for a very long time someone that you've maybe known since like elementary school, and yet they're leading you away from Jesus, and Jesus is saying, hey, I I need you to to be mine. Maybe it's a whole group of friends that you've been hanging out with because you feel like, well, maybe nobody else is going to let me feel included. And so you go along with what they do, and yet God is saying, that's not what I want for you. That's not producing the kind of fruit that you know you want in your life. You feel empty. Maybe God's saying, hey, I need to prune that. Maybe it's a a habit. Maybe it's a habit that God wants to prune out of your life in 2020. Maybe it's an eating habit. Maybe it's a habit of laziness. Maybe it's the, the habit of social media. Maybe it's the habit of pornography or shopping. Those things that we will often bring into our lives to try to fill some void that we think is missing Uh, maybe it's a possible reaction or action that you know is not God honoring Uh, maybe you're like yo yo I know like this anger thing but I'm just a passionate guy or maybe you have an anger issue and God needs to deal with that maybe it's gossip that you feel keeps you in the loop maybe it's cynicism that you keep everybody at arm's length with so they can't get too close to actually hurt you Uh, maybe it's fear Where you're just afraid. Will God actually come through? Will he actually do what he says? Can I actually trust him? Does he actually love me? Is he actually thinking about my best interest? And so fear keeps me from actually doing. And God might be saying, I I need to prune this out of your life. I want you guys to watch uh, this video. And while you're watching it, I just want you to spend time. to Pretend that you're sitting right next to God. Because God is here right now. And God wants to speak to you. And give him permission to turn you into his original masterpiece.
1: Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, but I want to. So I go to God and I pray. Dear heavenly father, would you do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son? Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus name I pray, amen. Hi. Oh, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. (laughs) You're not God. No, I am. Okay, uh, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
2: Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters.
1: Why is it so short?
2: I was tired of lamenting.
1: You are God. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about? These
2: are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's get busy. Okay. I'm going to bring up things in your life that don't belong in your life, and, uh... Start right here. Your anger. Ow! I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrongest of ways. You compare yourself to others instead of me. And you lie. You tell little white lies. You're so afraid of confrontation. You're becoming a people pleaser.
1: Okay, time out. Um, I think you've done some really good work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. When
2: you look in the mirror, who do you see?
1: see me okay then
2: I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son okay but when I look like Jesus people get uncomfortable and I don't think I'm supposed to do that so what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life
1: no what I'm saying is you've grown me to here maybe we take a break from each other for a while all right and then I'll stay here and then you come back and we can grow some more
2: you never just take a break from me you're either moving toward me or away from me but you never just plateau what you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, no, chisel. All right, here we go. Can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this right here, that secret sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. Do you want to keep rearranging this in your life or do you want me to chisel it out? Chisel it. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. This hurts, okay? I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin. But also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you are doing in your life that are insane. Allow me to chisel them out of
1: your life. I know, but I've let you down so many times, God.
2: No, You are never holding me up
1: okay then chisel away but just be prepared for what you're going to find in there because i know who's inside there god i get up every morning and i hate what i see in the mirror because inside is a scared stupid kid and i try i try but i can't i can't be who everybody else expects me to be god i can't even be who i want to be much less who you created me to be so chisel away and just know what you're going to find in there
2: you have listened to so many voices, so many critics for far too long, that are not for me, and you bought into the lie. You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night, at the end of the day, you think you're junk. I don't take time to make junk. I wanna show you something about my love, reach in your back pocket.
1: This is a, it's a page from a notebook when I was in college. How'd you get this?
2: Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it.
1: Dear God, did I hear you right? You said you want to use me. but I feel really useless. But if you can take this life, this mess of a life I have, and do with it what you want.
2: I love you, God. I love you, too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. It's gonna be tough. Yes, but you bought into the light thinking everything was gonna be easy when you said yes to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original
1: masterpiece. Tommy is God's? No,
2: not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life, the way I made you, the way I created you.
1: Tommy? Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. You are an original masterpiece.
0: Last week we discussed the reality that if we're going to see the path that God has for us become the people he wants us to be, we have to engage with him in his word. And this week, what I knew God wanted to say to me and probably to many of you, is that to become the people he wants us to be, there, there's going to be some pruning. And so if all you were watching that video or during our time in the Word, if there was something that God spoke to you that said, hey, I, I, there's this thing that I need to prune out, uh, I'd like you just to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to say it or any come forward, I, but if that was something, if that was you and God's like said something, I want you just to raise your hand. This is me too. I'm not raising my hand just to like show you I'm raising my hand because God said something to me. I just want to pray for you guys. All right, let me pray for you. <sighs> Father God, um, there's stuff that I know I, I need to have you come in and cut out to remove and, and to prune. Because, God, uh, I want to kind of bear the, the kind of fruit that, that brings you glory that, that's ultimately for my benefit God, I pray for those that you've you've brought something to their mind that they know they need to release, that they need to start to give you permission to cut out of their life, to prune. God, that's not a fun process. It is a painful process, but it is a process that you promised that uh, you began before we were even born, and you're going to bring it to completion. So. On behalf of all of us in this room that have said, God, there's some things in my life or a thing in my life that, that I know I need to deal with, right now, God, we give you permission. We give you permission. Come in. Remove that, God. Begin that process with us even now. I pray for courage, God, for those of us, uh, God, that have raised our hands today to not simply allow it to just sit here in this place, but to have the courage to to share it with somebody else so that there is a a level of accountability so that God we can fight these things together remove them and become more and more the people that you want us to be God I pray that when people see folks from uh, this church and all the churches in Grand Rapids that, that they would instantly begin to recognize wow that's a, that's a Christian I can tell by the way that they love by the way that they act by the way that they serve by the people that they are God I want that true of me I want that true of all of us We give you permission today, in Jesus' name, amen.